Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Dalvin. I'm the managing editor at the Stonywood Press. Uh, hello. I'm Deanna. I'm the music editor. Yo, what's up? My name is Lewis. I'm the satire editor. You know, it's Javier. No real affiliation to the press. <laughs> I just pull up, you know? And today we have a special guest on the podcast. Let him know. Yeah, I'm Michelle Kim. I'm a staff writer at them. Uh, formerly a staff writer at Pitchfork, and I've written at Teen Vogue and Fader and other publications. Fadewa. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Fadewa. How did you Wait, end up? What did you say? <laughs> I said Fadewa, like Fader with a French accent. Fadewa. 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 Oh, Fadewa. Wait, I've never heard that. Is like, is that like? Is that more cultured? No, I'm just, no, I'm just, no, I'm just joshing around, no. How did you end up with them? Um, basically, it's, it was convenient because, um, Pitchfork is owned by Condé Nast, which is, like, this huge media conglomerate, Mm -hmm. and I basically just wanted to spread my wings a little bit, and Pitchfork was my first job out of college, I had been there for two and a half years, and I just decided to take a leap at them because it's a small publication but um there's there's kind of a more freedom and growth that you can do when you are at a smaller site um but i still love pitchfork like the people that work there are just the sweetest and they taught me so much so yeah just trying to make some moves you know Ooh, (laughs) I, i got a question after hearing that so you said that joining them gives you a little bit more freedom therefore like what are the restrictions you had to deal with in pitchfork Oh, good question. Well, because Pitchfork is so quote unquote esteemed and so many people read them, they have so many people wanting to write for them. Like it, it was hard for me to sometimes like write the pieces that I want to write because sometimes they would go to someone who has more experience writing in a certain genre and that's completely fine like I understand like the editors have to make the best choices they can under certain time constrictions and sometimes I just didn't feel like I was able to write like more aspirational pieces like you know things that I was getting challenged of course like just writing stuff that I was getting assigned but sometimes I wanted more of a challenge right right and and also like just the constrictions within the music industry itself like music is crazy like working on a 24-hour news cycle artists are dropping things at like 3 a.m not dropping things at 3 a.m um it was really hard for me to deal with just um just the hecticness of the news cycle because every a lot of stuff was happening at all times and i just kind of wanted to even though music i love music so much i just wanted to see what it would feel like to move away from it and it's okay i could always come back at any point in my life so oh nice good to hear i read your piece on frank ocean's prep night the first Uh night what was it like actually being there (laughs) um that was a very interesting question um because it just felt kind of one, it was a party, and I was there to cover it, so, yeah. you know, I wasn't really drinking, I wasn't really in the party mode, I was in, you know, reporting mode, and of course, just me- that mindset coming into it, like, affects my, how good of a time I'm, I'm yeah, feeling definitely. there, right? But, that being said, I really liked the venue, I thought it was cool, like, to be there, and I did actually run into friends I had there, which was cool, but at, at a certain point, you know, it kind of felt like I don't know if you're ever you've ever been to an event where like people just kind of go to these things to be seen and everyone's like checking each other out and like yeah. sizing each other up and being like looking oh. for the famous people. Well, I've never that, been. That's yeah. ultimate. That's kind of how it felt like um, most of the time, unless mm. you were on the dance floor, which was pretty concentrated and pretty packed by the end of the night. So Ooh, that's yeah. a lot of body heat. I heard that the second <laughs> night wasn't that much better than the first. Oh, really? I actually didn't go to the second night, and I didn't... I wasn't really checking for opinions. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. What did you see out there? Um, I read something on Fader that it was still, like, basically the first... Basically the same as the first night. There weren't that many, like, LGBT, like, DJs or no, like, real, like, mention of, like, the prep medication or wait, just kind of wait, felt like a... Mean, wait, prep medication? Yeah, it's, the, it's like yeah. a medication to, like, prevent HIV. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, like, he called it, Frank called it PrEP because mm-hmm. PrEP is an HIV prevention medication where if you take it daily, like, people who are at risk for HIV 
the risk of them getting it is reduced to 99%. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. When taken every day, PrEP can provide a high level of protection against HIV and is even more effective when it is combined with condoms and other prevention tools. Oh, wow. So, but That's basically, okay. like you mentioned, like it's, it is a very controversial drug because its prices have been hiked up. People don't necessarily have access to it physically or even to it like educationally. They don't know about, they don't know that exists. Yeah. Um, California is actually the first state that recently legalized access to PrEP without a prescription. So hmm. in, in most other states, you have to have a prescription to get this. And of course, that's, that's a question of access. Not everyone has access to a doctor in the first place. Um, and really, like, even though it is ostensibly supposed to prevent the um, HIV and AIDS from spreading, like, the people who are at most risk for contracting the disease, which are black and brown folks who mm. are in, like, um, disenfranchised um, communities, they are the most likely to not even have access to it. So mm -hmm. that's why it's very controversial. And see, Frank Ocean calling this party prep, like I think people had a lot of expectations for him to kind of delve deeper into these nuances of like why it's controversial, why it's helpful, but why people can't get access. And I think just people were in general disappointed that he would use the name, but not really try to spread additional awareness to yeah. the nuances of the medication. What do you think yeah. of that? Um, I think after all, he is such a mainstream artist. Mm. Um, us having this conversation wouldn't even happen if he didn't call it that. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I think it does like him calling it prep, even though he didn't like, you know, pass out pamphlets or brochures at his party, it's still starting a conversation for most people in the mainstream. But that being said, being at the party, I wish there was a little bit more like, like there was some sort of thing that like actually explained what it is. Um, because, you know, like just to call it something, it's questionable because then you're kind of like, then people are like, oh, are you just doing it for marketing purposes? Right. Are you taking this drug that actually has very serious connections and meaning to it and using it to promote your music? I think that's what people were feeling. And that's definitely a suspicion I had after I saw that after the first party, he released um, a song. He released, he released um, DHL. And I was kind of like, wow, like, so you really did use this name to promote your music? Like, I'm not sure. Yeah. Right. I'm sure there were good intentions, but like sometimes the uh -huh. execution just doesn't look well i guess you know yeah 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 i i think it was really well intentioned and then and again i want to emphasize that like we wouldn't have be having this conversation right now if he didn't do it yeah but then again like i, I frank ocean is not an activist and i think the queer community a lot of people in the queer community they just hold these things to high expectations because we don't even have a lot of queer artists out in the mainstream that yeah. can be even advocating for this so when we do see it happen it's like wow you kind of messed up like because we barely have that representation in the first place yeah so you focus mainly on queer artists like what you write about um yeah i write a lot about music and then since I'm writing for a queer magazine, it's a lot about queer artists, but also um, I, I read about visual arts and kind of like fine arts and stuff um, as well. Yeah. Awesome. Where you, Michelle, where are you from? How'd you start getting into, how'd you get into writing and how'd that lead to getting into journalism? And then how did that get into music journalism and all that and culture, <laughs> culture reporting? Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Maryland outside of DC. Yeah affectionately known as the DMV for people who know. <laughs> I feel like to be from the DMV, like, you really got to be from D.C. or Maryland. And when I say Maryland, like, I mean PG County type shit. Um, but I was always into music. My mom is just a huge music fan. Was, like, she, she's the reason why I'm doing this. Like, she collected records. Um, she's just really into arts criticism in general, so without even trying to make me do anything, I really felt like I just absorbed her interests as well. So she put me in like piano and violin lessons when I was young. I was just obsessively listening to pop music when I was growing up. And then that transformed into me listening to more like indie music and like all that stuff. 
then I really knew that I wanted to go to college for something music related. Thought that I was going to become like a music engineer or something. But then I noticed that Clive Davis Institute of Recording Music exists at NYU. I just saw that music, like you could go into that program wanting to be a music journalist. And I just looked at it and I was like, what? Like you can major in this? I, I was like, at that point I was like, how old was I? I was like 14, 15, like in high school, like reading Pitchfork, like reading all these magazines and being like, oh, wow, like you could actually get paid to do this. Like that's when it clicked for me because I was just on like me and my friends would just chat about music like all day long. I'm like, I don't know. That's when we were still using Facebook. So on Facebook Messenger. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's so I was like, well, I already like shit. I already write about music all day with my friends like online and we had our little own like group and stuff like why don't I just try and apply for this and then I I made I went to NYU I majored in it um and from there I I really started interning at Fader which was like my dream place to even like work at one point and from there I just went to Fader started news writing for Fader then I started news writing for Pitchfork and on and on and on and now I'm here that's nice when you were saying that, you know, you got this interest because of your mom and you just kind of picked up uh, her love of music, uh, you say you were listening, you listened to pop music growing up. Is that what uh-huh. your mom played or was it something different? <laughs> like, what did you grow up here? What did you grow up hearing in the household? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. It's funny because my mom is obsessed with classical music oh. and she would play that a lot. That I would kind of be like, mm, okay. this is fine um, i guess <laughs> <laughs> but she also collected like pop records like right. and rock records like the beatles rolling stones the doors all that stuff um and even though she was playing like different music for me i just kind of gravitate like when i say that my mommy like kind of diffused her interest towards me it's not the necessarily the genre but just her love for music spread onto me and then I became obsessed with other stuff so when I was the youngest I was just listening to the pop radio Rihanna Black Eyed Peas all that stuff <laughs> like T-Pain Akon and then when I was in middle school I started getting my scene emo phase so that was my cam and panic you know oh, and then and then in high school is when I started, like, kind of branching out into indie stuff. So I was listening to, like, Youth Lagoon and bon- Bonnie Bear and Bright Eyes and just Justice, you know, MGMT, all those mm. all those bands and that, that were really pitchfork core, you know. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it just kept on, it kept on spreading, kept on spreading. I realized that um, where I grew up in Maryland, I feel like it had actually, like, a really, people in general in my when I moved to New York, when I went to NYU, like, I noticed that, like, I expected to go to New York and be, like, even more into the rap scene in New York, but because I was going to NYU, which was a privileged bubble of people, I realized that I wasn't, (laughs) I was actually not, (laughs) not exposed to rap as I had been when I was growing up in Maryland, so that's something I actually realized moving away is that I feel like Maryland really, like, has a even though we don't have a lot of rappers coming out, I feel like it Got does logic. have a rich like love for hip hop. So yeah. So what type of rap did you <laughs> did you end up hearing out of curiosity? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. I mean, f- how I would describe it is that like like pop music for the people that I grew up with, pop music like the the popular music where everyone was like listening and into it was like R and B and hip hop. Like I mean, okay. At, I mean, like, Drake, ASAP Ferg, I don't know who else was popping back then, but, mm. like, I don't know, ASAP Rocky, like, stuff like that. Um, yeah. Mm. I respect the ear. <laughs> How'd you end up, a, what was it like writing for Pitchfork? Because I remember, was there, like, when did you start writing there, actually, first of all? I started writing there around February 2017. Okay, so this is after the so, Conde buyout, then. Yeah, this is after, like, maybe two or three years afterwards, um, but I actually joined them as a news writer, uh. um, writing on nights and weekends. Um, oh, okay. And it was it was really it was a really helpful experience just because they're so on the ball. They're so like 
they they really care about getting news first mm-hmm. and it really helped me learn how to report fast how to write stuff fast how to aggregate news fast and just always keep on like keep on my toes be consuming so much information all the time so now i just have like weird like facts i know about like certain things i don't know um (laughs) because i'm i was always like online reading stuff it was good it's just that news like i i know that some people want to be new writing news all the time that was definitely not me so um in october 2018 i transition to the office for a staff writer gig and that's when I was able to start like more given the space and time to write reviews and like other like long essays mm. and stuff like that what's one of the favorite things you've ever written or like a um, favorite event you ever covered yeah that's a good question I love my Charlie album review um I recently reviewed her her last studio album and I loved writing that that was so fun especially since she is just a really interesting artist to me, and I'm a huge fan of her. So mm-hmm. I, I really try to delve deep into, like, exactly why she's doing what she does. Because, I don't know, I just don't think she's really an albums girl. But she tries, and she's not really a pop girl, but she is. And I think she's kind of a conflicted figure in that sense. And I just, since, since Kanye is, like, on everyone's brain right now, I just <laughs> oh, remember, I lovingly remember like the w- almost worst night of my life which is <laughs> which is when kids see ghosts came out and i was supposed to cover it for news but then also go on to write like a takeaways piece which is like here's five things we took away from kids see ghost and i just remember being on the live stream with my boss like us waiting at 3 a.m for, oh, man. <laughs> for them to like join around the bonfire and like <laughs> them to play the album so we can hear it and it was just it was torturous and then when the i was i was up late at night writing my piece working on a rip from the live stream and when the album came out the next morning it didn't it came out like at a weird time at like 10 or 11 a.m and when the album came out i was like guys the song titles are wrong like i don't know if you guys remember this but (laughs) there was like a mistake in the song titles like when kids see ghosts came out and i was like i remember that yeah i was like these I, I've been listening to these songs all night. It doesn't make sense for the <laughs> the hook, the song to the for the hook to be "I'm Reborn" and it to be called something completely different. Like this song is definitely reborn, you know. Yeah. And we had we had to email back and forth, and like I was like, guys, this I'm a hundred percent right, and they're like, are you sure? And I was like, yes, just keep what I had written, and you know, I was right in the end. Oh my god, <laughs> that's stressful. Um, wait, sorry. I said that's stressful. <laughs> yeah, it was really stressful, but now I look back on it and laugh because it was truly like, who else would do? Who else would be up like doing all this shit except for music journalists? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Everything comes like at weird hours, the middle of the night. Yeah, especially when you have some like the biggest, the biggest stars. They they always try to push people to doing stuff on the weekend for some reason. Like. <laughs> <laughs>
pack in the DHL. I got a shot at the tail, and I pack in the DHL. Just got up by the tail, and I got a. Niggas think it's new, it ain't new. Boy. Old files just turned two, yeah, flu, yeah. Still sound like it's coming soon, coming soon, yeah. Still sound like it's coming soon, tell the truth. Boy, toy, suck me like a Uber, like a Uber. Boy, toy, ride me like a Uber, like a Uber. Smiley face, back to case, ain't busted down, yeah. I left it, I forgave the violations, ain't seen them around yet. The test it, wavy pool, sit behind the pool. I'm telling the truth, bro. Remind me of trade, brushing his wave, shit look like ramen noodles. Fuck, this shit sound like it's coming soon. Coming soon, bro. And it still sound like it's coming soon, coming soon. New files sitting on my drive, nothing new. Yeah. New files, and I can't get down. What you do? Yeah. New files, really can't get down to the pool. Yeah. New bliss sitting on a cyst on my wrist. Yeah. New bitch riding on my dick like a kid. Yeah. All in the days, and I pay for the studio rate instead of the rent. Yeah. I could hang in this bitch every day with some inspiration and hit Look like I'm dressed for a hike, but I really look like I'm in Paris and shit yeah. Look like I'm dressed for a camp, cause I'm pitching a bag, like I'm pitching a tent yeah. Say no fucking hopes and dreams, prophecy Party sleeve, papers in the coffee bean Roman numerals, niggas born up Ivy League exposed Double D's exposed, throw some beats Fucking these hoes leave, now my fucking flow slow, screw me slow, yes, Uhi TSXCC, bro. You see my bag is swollen, but more I can't even fold it. I drop you a pen like I'm bowling, you want it, so now you're born. Breakfast and dinner, just blending, we spend all that time alone, alone, watching the clouds roll. Got a pack, came from the DHL, just got up with a pack, I got a pack, came from the DHL, just got up with a pack, I got a pack, or a pack. Out the trunk, I'm already rich as fuck. So the products in the front, got my partner in the front. Been my BF for a month, but we've been fucking from the jump, 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 jump. Like Drake, Beyonce always releases stuff like not at the normal hour, you know? Yeah, like Thursday, midnight, like into Friday. Yes, yes, yeah. Just like the standard, but then you have people in like weird in the middle of the week or <laughs> yeah yeah so that's why i'm kind of like oof. i'm kind of lucky that i don't work at pitchfork anymore because maybe i would have been staying up at like 4 a.m waiting for kanye or some shit you know yeah no, yeah as a writer that's actually something i want to talk about a little bit as a writer what do you enjoy doing the most like you've done news writing you're doing reviews events coverage what's the thing that when you're as a writer you really gravitate towards you feel like mentally you kind of gravitate towards the most i mean obviously mm. you're doing different things you have different tastes and everything but like what's the one what's the kind of form you're like oh i really this is this is this really clicks right here this is where i'm really in my element oh man I'm in um, my element. that's a great question i i love writing reviews i think my favorite thing and a lot of people would say this is writing profiles like i just ah. love spending a long time talking to an artist really like Getting to, like, it's getting less and less um, common, but, like, Uh spending, like, four hours with an artist, just hanging out with them, walking around or doing something, talking to them, getting to know them, like, I just think it's about, I feel the most privileged when I I get to do that. Speaking of that, so so profiles, did you read the article that came out in the outline about celebrity profiles? Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. What, What were your thoughts on that article? Oh, wait, maybe I'm thinking about something different. Um, what was the gist of your piece uh, that you're talking about? The piece that he outlined came up with this article basically saying that, like, celebrity pro... It was after the uh, Rihanna profile had come... Uh, it was a Rihanna profile, right? Uh, where that, that kind of whole thing kind of happened. And so there was an article published with basically the idea of uh, po- profiles that are kind of useless and it's not actual journalism. And, yes. And it's kind of like... <laughs> just, it's, just, it's kind of a huge scam in a weird way. What are your Damn. thoughts on that? Yeah, I totally agree with, like 
that argument and mm. a lot of people other other people's argument where like a lot of celebrities their biggest strength or like you know the top series are like celebrities like beyonce frank um rihanna even like their biggest power is from their secrecy mm. and they don't they're not like one of a mid-level artist or a rising artist where they feel like they have to be beholden to the press and say yes to every interview. Um, there are a lot of artists who do so many interviews every album because they want people to get the word out. They want people to listen. But with Beyonce and Frank, they know that people are going to listen anyway. They don't need to do an interview. That's they can problem. decline. Like yeah. I'm thinking about the Beyonce Vogue cover where she basically did a photo shoot for Vogue, a cover photo shoot um, shot by Tyler Mitchell, and it did not come with an interview. Like, so they just decided to do it because I guess, like, I mean, I'm not, I can't speak for them, but to me it seemed like they'd rather have the biggest star in the world, Beyonce, on their cover and go with no interview than not have her on the cover at all. It's unfortunate because then you're going to get less interesting stories. I think it's uh, the, the profile, the long profile is really important to actually parse who these people are. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, they, they just have power. They just have power to say no. And I honestly kind of respect that. But I wish that I wish I could read some juicy profiles on Beyonce. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, who's the coolest person you've ever interviewed? This is just coming to mind because it was this year, but I actually did a profile on this rising artist called Body Meat. I love um, the name. (laughs) Yeah. And it was just chill as fuck because she, it was his first interview ever as an artist. And I feel like he really opened up about his life story to me, told me how he basically grew up in a trailer with his mom and his siblings and they were extremely poor he didn't know that he was going to become an artist like he thought he was going to become a skateboarder at one point a photographer at another point and then he just started making music because he saw other people at a diy venue and was like oh shit i can do that and so i think it was nice because when you when you get those artists that haven't really done interviews at all they're not jaded and they're sometimes they're so willing to tell you everything and as long as you make them comfortable and i think those are sometimes the most special yeah did you ever learn why this artist named themselves body meat yes (laughs) body 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 he had a really interesting answer that didn't make it in the profile but he said you know it's like everything has body meat that tree has body meat. I have body meat. Like this earth has body meat. You all have <laughs> and, I was, body meat. and I was like, "Damn, you're right." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's interesting. We were focusing on queer artists for this episode. Did you listen to King Princess's new album? I love it. Yeah, great. I just love the glam of it. it you know, you really get into the mood, but then you go home and you're like, "All right, like I'm gonna pop it." Oh, yeah, I did listen to part of it. I actually didn't get through the whole thing. But, what what yeah. did you think of it so far? Um, yeah, I think she's amazing. Um, I really, like, think she is, her strong writing is strongest when she gets kind of, like, deep in her feelings. I don't know. I'm yeah. just, I love emo songwriting, but <laughs> I just, I just love when she kind of evokes this sort of, like, dejection or sadness that, comes from I don't know if it's specific to like queer romance and desire but for a lot of fans I think it resonates that way especially the title track Cheap Queen it's kind of like mm. yeah I can I can kind of be this for you I can do this for you I'm a cheap queen and kind of like you know kind of degrading herself or like or expressing the fact that she feels degraded and and with another person and i think that resonates for a lot of people but especially for her queer fans definitely yeah i've been i haven't listened to it too many times but yeah i agree like you could like feel like the emotion like you said like she feels like degrading herself Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's also like a funny contradiction because she when you see or like watch or read interviews of her, she's so confident. She's like she's just so sure of herself. And and then when she like kind of, you know, gets into the more nuances of like how she feels in her songs, it feels really special. Yeah. Yeah. I also took a listen to it. I didn't finish the whole thing. But my question would be, I guess I'm a little uncultured in this sense, but. 
it's under the pop genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's considered as such, right? Yeah, I think some people would say that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I read one review. They called. They're calling her like, I don't know. They called her like pop music's like queer icon or something. Mhm. I liked it overall, somewhat overall. If that makes did sense. Did you think? Did you think it was pop music or did you think it was something else? I don't know. It had a. Um, it it just had an overall slower tempo to me. I guess I consider pop something as a, a more like, upbeat. Yeah, upbeat tone to it. Um, but you know, I was just thinking, okay, maybe it's a, a redefinition of it that I just am not aware of. Yeah, I I get what you're saying about that. I I definitely don't think it's like the up tempo anthems right. that you would consider like like extremely mainstream pop i think people just kind of in general for artists like king princess and other maybe even like a clara or they they have pop writing pop songwriting structure but they kind of pull from different genres like maybe electronic music or funk music and or soul and they they kind of put it all together and people are like well it's too complicated to say that she's like a hybrid this 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 genre artist they just all they just call it all pop okay do you feel like artists in the lgbt community like focus too much on their label definitely um i think that's also one of the reasons why queer artists are reluctant to come out is because they don't want to be pigeonholed and they don't want every um headline to be like this is the best queer musician because some at a certain point you just want to be the best musician period like you don't want to be the best musician of your certain race or genre or sexuality identity and identifier or anything to do with your identity especially i'm thinking about like troy savan he Mm -hmm. is one of the most mainstream pop artists who is out and queer but he recently experienced this interview with, I think, a New Zealand publication. I don't know what it's called, but he basically put them on blast and like um, posted a picture of the interview because the interviewer asked him if he's like a top or a bottom. Oh my God. Troy passed on the question because that's nobody's business besides him and his boyfriend, Jacob. But Troy retweeted a fan who posted the interview and added, I thought about asking the interviewer about his absolute fave sex position after that last question, but then I remembered how wildly invasive, strange, and inappropriate that would be. And yeah, and the fact that they asked him, one, they asked him that, like the journalist, but then two, the editor thought it was appropriate to like even publish that part of it, even though he like kind of respectfully like declined to answer it. He was like, uh, no, like, I mean, it's, it's moments like that where you see that like the stigma is still there. Like people still get caught up on like questions like that. Whereas like you would never ask a straight person about like their intimate, like sex life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I didn't see that. (laughs) That makes me upset. That's, Oh my god. On a serious note though, one question I do have is um well we we clearly just saw an interview of how not to interview an LGBT artist. For somebody who's not an LGBT person, how would you go about interviewing an LGBT artist? Just like what's the right like way? Like a normal person. Yeah, like a normal conversation, right? Yeah. Like a normal I conversation. guess like I guess just check yourself. Like, I mean, I am queer, but I always try to like, you know, just double check, like just be thoughtful about like what you're trying to convey to the artist, like and in your story afterwards when right. you write it. Like, I I understand that working for an LGBTQ magazine, um, that you kind of have to put the headline, like, you have to put, the like, their queerness in the headline sometimes because that's what's going to resonate with our readers. But at the same time, I don't want to harp on it too much in the story. Like, I don't want to over-explain, like, oh, this person came out when they were 15 and all this stuff. Like, sometimes I just want to talk about them like they are a normal person and they're moving through the world like a normal person because they are. Um, and so I would just say, like, just keep in mind when you feel like, don't don't feel like you have to over-explain, don't feel like that you have to overextend any sort of question or sentiment. Um, just approach them like a normal person and yeah definitely don't ask them questions about their sexuality (laughs) unless they seem like they want to i think if 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 it's something if it's an issue that comes across in their music it's 
it's like okay maybe you could ask them that definitely not like top or bottoming though but like <laughs> if it's something that comes across in their music i think you should definitely like you know point to a certain song and then quote the lyric or something and be like mm. hey what did you mean by this don't like come out the great gate like saying like how do you have gay sex like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all right good stuff good stuff <laughs> So Michelle, one so one segment we like to do, we like to, we usually save we usually save this for the end, but um, we're gonna just do it now because why not? I like to do a segment on, here on Press Play that I like to call Nuts and Bolts. Okay. It's a segment where basically we ask our interviewees very nuts and bolts. <laughs> basically, we're gonna so Michelle, first question in Nuts and Bolts. Ready? When you write okay. your articles, what do you write on? Oh. I write on a, a MacBook, a, a shitty old MacBook. Pro or Air? Pro. <laughs> nice. All right, good. When you write your articles, Michelle, do you use Google Docs or Microsoft Word or something else? Google Docs? Who uses Microsoft Word? You'd be shocked. You'd be shocked. Uh, double-spaced or single or uh, default single-spaced? Default. I think Google Docs defaults to 1.25 or some shit. Who has issues with double-spaced? <laughs> You should have heard him before we started this interview. My man said, double space is just weird. I was just like, man. All right, cool. Um, last qu- And um, that's that, that's about sums up nuts and bolts. Thanks for playing. But a serious question, Michelle. Would you ever want to be an editor? Yeah, that's a great question. I would love to be an editor. What about um, editing appeals to you as like a as a as a you know a part of the process? I just have had such amazing editors in the past that really pushed me to be a good better writer. And there's a part of the mentorship aspect that really appeals to me. Like I would love to help young writers like get better when I'm okay. older. But then also, it's just nice because. You don't have to be grinding all the time. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you do grind as an editor. I'm not of gonna course. lie, but like, you get, you get to see someone else's vision and help shape it, and it's not always on you to like come up with stuff. Right. About a year ago, I did a podcast with this guy named Chris Sott, who was actually one of the founding guys at Pitchfork. I told him, I said, if you um, continue to publish my digital works without a contract. After the transfer of the domain name pitchfork.com to Condé Nast, you are going to get digital millennium copyright acted out the fucking ass. He was there in the early days. One of my favorite music writers, period. But he made an interesting point, and Dan Ozzy made a similar point. Didn't make this point, but I thought it was an interesting correlation, too. Do you feel like, when you you know, these guys were all in bands, and so Chris was arguing, yeah, like when you kind of are in a a band, or or not even in a band, but when you make music in general as an artist, you know, because it applies to any, you know, form of music. You kind of understand the music a little bit more, which makes you a little more keen to being a writer. Do you think there's any truth to that? A hundred percent, I agree. Like, okay, I know that Lizzo recently, oh, <laughs> like, Shout out Lizzo. like, uh, lashed out. And was like, Not just Lizzo, everybody. <laughs> yeah, she had to, like she, JPEG delete, Mafia deleted tweets about like criticizing. Oh yeah, music yeah, journalists. JPEG, yeah, Lana. Well, I don't know, but Lizzo's recent comment was like. Or if you aren't a music- musician, don't feel like you can critique my music, essentially, yeah. is what she said. And, like, um, a lot of people were like, hey, that's not yeah. cool to say. Because, like, not everyone's a musician. Not everyone who's a critic can be or is a musician. And that's fair. But at the same time, like, I feel like having that musical understanding, like, of I don't know, theory or being able to play it yourself, like, is so important. Like, just because you can kind of speak to it more in a technical way and understand, like, maybe if you have experience playing an instrument, you can kind of understand someone's virtuosity a little bit more in depth because Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I know what it takes to, like, be able to play that certain thing, you know? And that's impressive. Um, But that being said, I know a ton of music critics that... I have never played an instrument or don't know in-depth theory, and they still are fantastic critics. Um, but I just personally, I'm just speaking from a personal point where, like, I know how to play music, and I feel like I really can connect to it in certain parts. There have been moments where I write, um, I write about a certain song or album with like a technical, a more technical theory term, and mm-hmm. I've had it cut out because my editors are like people aren't gonna understand what you mean by this and i i understand their viewpoint but then again i also hear other people saying i would love to see more like theory analysis you know right so you went to nyu as you mentioned before 
and you mm-hmm. and, and, I've, and I've been a fan of your rain for a couple for about a couple of years now but I feel like we've we talked to a lot of writers in the past and a lot of them you know they, they've gone to like NYU they've gone to like Sarah Lawrence they go to a lot of these kind of private schools and as you said before these schools often are from these are these very kind of like privileged spaces and in a lot of cases they're very white spaces and a lot of those people end up becoming like music writers and a lot of them might be good writers but do you feel like be coming from those like spaces can affect their maybe has a difference in how they like talk about music and their perception of the music oh yes oh my god 100 percent. all right let's I, talk about it yeah like definitely i media in general not just music journalism oh, of is extremely privileged extremely oh, white extremely like you know hetero things that are like the stasis of the um of the system are just going to stay kind of stay like that because you know one buddy is going to get their other friend from Yale to like fill the their open position etc etc and I think it definitely leads to blind spots in criticism especially when you're talking about certain movements or writing historical pieces and that everyone has blind spots but some some are bigger than others and if you're writing a piece and you're leaving like whole like groups of artists out because they're like women or because they're like not white like I think that's definitely a problem and some people don't even know that they have that blind spot because when you're not really in a workplace that's hiring diversely it becomes a huge echo chamber of everyone saying yes that's a great idea to each other and I think it's always great to like this this is just me coming from as a young writer and not even as someone who's like in charge of hiring like I just think it's important to like foster a an environment where there is a diverse amount of people who can kind of raise conversations and questions to each other like hey like did you consider this do you consider this artist who is overlooked like all that stuff so and I just think the more specific and more personal that like a website can be to the writer's background like i'm just thinking about alphonse pierre like, ah. i'm sure you guys i'm sure you guys read him Love and alphonse. he was my former co-worker state school guy too went to new paul suny school all right Shouts out. yeah 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 and i i actually don't know exactly how he heard of the job position but i'm pretty sure it was because one of our former editors was making a specific point to kind of recruit and ask people to apply that aren't part of the normal like yeah um nor the the what you were saying privileged spaces like private schools etc and you know Alphonse is thriving and people really mm-hmm. respond to his writing because he's so different from oh, yeah. everyone at Pitchfork and he has such a different set of interests that he is not going to fold and be like oh I'm gonna pretend that I don't like this or like you know he really brings something to the site that wasn't there before and I really respect him for that where do you hope to go in the future Um, That's a great question. I don't know if I'm going to be in the media industry my whole life, but for right now, I think this is them is a great place for me to be. And maybe one day I'll transition to being an editor or maybe even go freelance one day. Um, But that will be down the road. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. I actually wanted to bring it back real quick. You know, music theory yourself and you actually played instruments. What instruments have you played? Yeah, I was trained in piano and violin, Ooh. and I kind of continued violin more than piano because I, I just wasn't really digging piano, but um, be like that, yeah. I in middle school, I learned a little bit of guitar, but didn't Ooh. really have like a guitar, but I did buy a, a ukulele, like a okay. $30 ukulele, <laughs> and taught myself how to play it because it just was more accessible to me than Funny, getting a whole ass guitar. Yeah.
It's just been sitting in my room for years. I'm like, yeah, I'll teach myself how to play, <laughs> but <laughs> I just don't have the time. Or <laughs> Discipline, too, you know? Yes, yeah, definitely yeah, I, the practice. I was never good at practicing, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. But, yeah, when you have the drive to teach yourself something, you kind of, like, have to force yourself to practice. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, you're just not going to learn it. Yeah. I also played the violin in, like, middle school, high school. And I only practiced oh, nice. because, you know, I had to for, like, my classes and stuff. But after high school, I stopped. And it's, like, a regret, but... Maybe one day. I'll I've had a saxophone in my room for 15 years, <laughs> and we just recently sold it. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Also, Michelle, you said you've written pieces that are more, like, driven by your your analysis on the theory behind it. Is there any, like, like patterns you noticed about, like, when you pick that up and when you want to, like, write things about that? Like, is it a certain melody or rhythm? Oh, that's a great question. I feel like I go toward theory thinking about theory in terms of rhythm and with vocal performance so with with rhythm i think about like how certain percussive elements are interacting with each other i mean i still do and used to write about a lot of hip-hop for pitchfork and like when you're writing about like a lot of rap and trap music like it's kind of hard to explain the difference between exactly like what makes a metro boom and beat like different from a take Heath beat versus etc yeah. etc et but if you really like start to analyze like the different rhythmic patterns and how one uses it versus the other that's i feel like that's where i was really thinking about theory just to be able to differentiate like different producer styles and stuff but then in terms of like i was also thinking about theory in terms of vocal performance a lot of the time because i really am drawn to like weird singers and like or weird rappers and people who are able to like do different things with their voice i think people are naturally really drawn to like people who are um doing something different with their voice and for some reason i always think about like the technical vocal aspects of like oh is this person 
jumping up in their range? Like, are they doing something funny with their throat? Are they doing something funny with their enunciation? Like, I think about it more technically in that aspect. Interesting. Good to know. (laughs) Michelle, do you have any plugs you want to give? I'll plug myself. (laughs) I like that. I like that. Go do that. Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Mishka Kim, M-E-E-S-H-K-A-K-I-M. And I'm having a gig with my friends, the Friends Recital, on November 11th. Wow, I forget the venue. I'm horrible at plugging myself. But just follow me on social media and you'll see it. So, Boom. That's nothing needed. Nothing else needed. (laughs) Michelle Kim, thanks for coming on the pod. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You had great questions. I really enjoyed it. And hey, we try our best, you know. <laughs> You'll live an interesting life. Yeah, word up. I'm excited to see what um, you write in the yeah, future. Yeah, thank you so much. This is really fun. You know, I'm Javier. My man's Brandon Outley. Got a, got a thing out called Kid Life Clothing. You know, go check that out. He sells merch of his brand, which is Kid Life. Shout outs to my man's The Black Rim Brand. You can check him out on SoundCloud. Those are all the people I could think about plugging in right now. Myself, follow me on Snapchat, Keplersfield44. No spaces, no dashes, none of that. No capitals either. And, uh, yeah, that's hot. Follow me on Twitter, at LJMaroney2. And on Instagram, at LewisMaroney96. Um, also, follow my podcast, ca- uh, The Basement Couch, um, basementcouch.fm.substack.com. And uh, on, yeah... Basement Couch FM on Twitter. Um, my Twitter and Instagram are just at Deanna Elbone. Simple. That's it. <laughs> Word. Bye. So that's been another episode of the Press Play Podcast. I'm Dalwin. I'm the managing editor. If you want to keep up with Stony Brook Press's work, it's uh, sppress.com. Uh, you can find us at Stony Brook Press on Instagram, Facebook, all the social media, really. Yeah, come through at our meetings on Wednesday at 1 p.m. at 307K. Read read our stuff, of course. You can follow me at Dalvin and Hobbs. That's usually where I'm at. You can listen to all our old episodes on iTunes and Spotify. She- and yeah, you can listen to any of the press's podcasts on Spotify SoundCloud. too. On yeah. yeah, also on SoundCloud too. Yeah, and right. also while you're at it, I'm just gonna throw down a link below when we post this. But just do it. Donate to Planned Parenthood, honestly. I'm that, the vice president out. of the Planned Parenthood Club on campus. We um, get it, Dalvin. You're woke. Word, word, yeah. Yeah, we're donate to Planned Parenthood. There will be a link below. And yeah. Yeah, word. Uh, yeah, peace Dalvin, out, guys. Dalvin loves women.